without you I could never No, never make heaven my home One more time Oh, so let me walk with you, Jesus Oh, don't ever leave me alone For without you I could never Oh, no, never make heaven my go ahead and change the key or not the key just the pace up a little bit and let's sing that song at the cross the same key Uh, as you can tell we're running just a little bit uh, short this morning so just help us out just pray for us and uh, you know the Lord says wherever two or three are gathered in my name I'll be there so we're holding to that so let's just sing that song though at the cross 
At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. And it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Oh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. Oh, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. One more time. Oh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. For it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Oh, so Jesus, hold my hand. I need Thee every hour, and through this pilgrim land, oh, protect me by Thy power, and hear my feeble plea, dear Lord, look down on me, and when I Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Oh, now Jesus, hold my hand. I need the every hour. And through this pilgrim land, protect me by thy meet you there, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Amen. We'll go ahead and uh, take our needs before the Lord at this time. Uh, let's sing that song, um, Only Believe, just uh, before we take these needs. So only believe, oh.
that softly sister becky uh like i said we're running limited uh, this morning simply due to the fact of many are sick uh, or traveling and we have many who are in south carolina at uh, the south carolina camp so we just want to uh, remember them in prayer as they'll be traveling back today uh, this afternoon um, but we just want to uh, remember our brother and sister smith this morning we want to continue to remember them uh, we also want to remember a uh, little henry coffee uh, this morning, who is uh, having some respiratory issues, so we just want to remember him. And uh, Sister Jackie Sylvester is uh, homesick with the flu, so we just want to remember her. Uh, as well as uh, Ellen Parks is also having some respiratory issues, so we just want to remember her. And the Whitlocks are not able to be with us due to sickness and also work, so we just want to remember them. Uh, uh, we want to remember the Florians, uh, little Hans specifically, who's sick. And uh, just remember uh, my Aunt Karen Buchanan, uh, who is uh, away sick as well. So uh, uh, we just want to remember those. And uh, we also have many unspoken prayer requests, and just by the raising of your hand. And if I could have uh, Brother Ben Pritchard come and pray over these prayer requests at this time. Father, Lord, we thank you for letting us be here in your house today, Lord. We pray that you touch all these ones that are sick, Lord, maybe the ones that are traveling back from the camp. Lord, pray that you just keep your hand upon them, Lord, and we uh, want to hear some great testimonies from that. Lord, pray that you just be with Brother Barry this morning. Bless him, Lord. Let the word flow through him into our hearts. We give you praise and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just sing it again as you're seated. Only be Dad, go ahead and come, and uh, Ashley with the family here is going to sing a quick special. Uh, so we'll go ahead and just do that quick switch here real quick. We're short this morning, but... According to the scriptures, we're, we're just fine. Amen. The only thing is, is when you have a church that has so many active youth in the positions in the church, and they take off, 
and you find out maybe they should have taught some of us old dogs those new tricks. I'm just thankful that we have such a wonderful youth group. Amen. This is an old, old song, and I just really had it on my heart to sing it, and I know you know it, so just help us out here. Then I cried to the rock of ages, hide thou me. Sometimes I feel discouraged. My work's in vain I'm tempted oft to murmur To grumble and complain I think of Jesus and all He's done for me. Then I cry to the rock of Cry. 
to the rock of ages. Dear Lord, hide thou Let's sing that song, He's Changing Me. I think key of B flat. From glory to glory, He's changing me, changing me. He's changing me, His likeness and image to perfect in me. The love of God shown to the world. For he's changing, changing me from earthly things to the heavenly, his likeness and image to perfect in me, the love of God shown to the world, from glory to glory he's changing me, changing me, he's changing. His likeness and image to perfect in me The love of God shown to the world For He's changing, changing me From earthly things to the heavenly His likeness and image to perfect in me The love of God shown to the world Oh, from glory to glory, He's changing me, changing me, He's changing me. His likeness and image to perfect in me, the love of God shown to the world. For He's changing, changing me from earthly things to the likeness and image to perfect in me the love of God shown to the world Amen at this time we'll go ahead and stand and have our ushers come forward if they would Amen Brother Tom if you would pray Let's just sing this song now as Brother Barry comes. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch.
sing one more a little chorus here falling in love with jesus as we begin this morning sing it together now sing it out loud falling in love with jesus not working that's not working falling in love with jesus falling in love with jesus thing I've ever, ever done. Sing that again now, one more time. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. In his arms, and in his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, protected. Best 
Father be. Praise the Lord. Well, you may be seated this morning. God bless you. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. And uh, musicians, we'll let you take your places there. And uh, we appreciate uh, all of our musicians in new places. And uh, John Harwell, eat your heart out. Uh, we are delighted to have you here today. I had no idea who was going to be here, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, I just did not want to be on that sick list either. So uh, I came today, and I hope that's okay. I sound funny. Uh, came through a, a, bout, a serious bout of pneumonia this week, and uh, it was a pretty rough week. I was thinking about my last will on Tuesday or Wednesday after... Uh, after the weekend and the Sunday afternoon, I just started to feel like uh, things were changing for me, and I lost my voice uh, here. And um, uh, on Sunday afternoon, I was losing it, and then uh, things changed. So uh, I, I'm just thankful for God's healing touch and allowing me to be here today. I miss Wednesday night, but uh, grateful to be here today. Uh, so we are not streaming today. Uh, the, uh, our technical people are all, uh, they've all flown the coop and, uh, just like everybody else, all of our young people, as, uh, as Keith mentioned there this morning, and, uh, many of them are down in South Carolina. Some of the families are down there with them in South Carolina and some are gone to get some of the young people down there. There's some folks that are, took advantage of a kind of a slow weekend and they're uh, gone out of town and there's some folks that are not well, and they've been, most of them have been mentioned as well. So uh, we, uh, we're here, and uh, we can kind of do what we want, right, because we're not streaming. We can kind of do what we want. But what I wanted to do was to minister a little thought that's on my heart this morning. So if that's okay, we'll do a little study together. And uh, they will record this, and they'll have that available for the archives later on. But... Um, we, we're just not live streaming. So uh, for those folks that listen to the archive, we apologize for not having the streaming today. Let me give you just a couple of quick uh, updates here before we jump into this this morning. Uh, we're continuing to remember Mike Ultig, who's still in the hospital. He's still in ICU, making uh, slow, gradual progress, uh, but he's still in serious condition. He's uh, the minister from South Carolina, was in... Uh, a terrible accident. He and his wife, his wife was released from hospital, but uh, Brother Mike took the full impact of the accident and uh, had a lot of serious issues. So we want to remember him. Also, the parks are not here. Sister Ellen was not feeling good today, and uh, they, uh, they were going to stay home and stream. And uh, they're also, on Thursday, they're leaving to go to Europe, and they're going to be there for a couple of weeks, so they'll be out uh, as well. Uh, also, I'm going to mention uh, this morning that uh, over the last uh, several weeks, Sister April Grant has been in Ukraine. Uh, she was serving in a field hospital there 12 miles from the front uh, where the Russians were. And uh, we were not able to say anything about that. I'm still not able to tell you where she was in Ukraine, but uh, it was very close. And she's done a report uh, of, of her experience over there. And if she, I, I think that'll be okay, but it tells a story and what she went through over there. Uh, but they were in an emergency field hospital there and doing the full surgical work uh, and the care for people because the hospital there was completely bombed out. 
and so they were not able to uh, practice medicine in the hospital. So if, if she gives me permission, I'll forward that report on to you so you get an idea. She's very detailed in her uh, report, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, see if we can circulate that. Great to have the Halls with us today. Didn't expect that. Great to have the Wheatons with us today. From Arizona? From where? Yeah. Oh, okay, right, right, from Buford. God bless you. Great to have you today. And then Sister Wheaton from Arizona? Close. <laughs> Great to have you as well today, too. And I think uh, some, some of the folks have been up uh, moving around because of the camp, so we're great to, grateful to have you here today. Uh, we also, too, uh, I wanted to mention that um, Sister uh, Caroline uh, Bailey, who is uh, the friend of um, Julian Ivy? Uh, she's been undergoing treatment for cancer. They have told us yesterday that she is 75% cancer-free. So they feel like they're really getting ahead of this and, and so grateful. So I asked, is it okay if I announce that? And they said that would be absolutely great. So uh, we're thanking God for that, but we're not done. So we need to keep praying and, and uh, just ask the Lord to give her a complete victory over that because I believe that our God's able and I believe that's her desire, and that's right in line with the will of God. So we should pray that way. If you have, uh, make a note of things, mark down for Wednesday. Uh, Catherine is going to be having uh, surgery on uh, Wednesday for sinus issues, and we're going to pray for her at the end of service today, and we're going to trust that the Lord will give her victory over that as well. Now, last thing I wanted to say that we have uh, our barrels that are going over to Zimbabwe. And uh, if you've brought things, you can bring them into the fellowship hall uh, and put them there. Uh, any questions about what's appropriate, you can ask Brother Aaron, Sister Trish. And then on Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, we're going to have our young people come. They're going to repack everything into the barrels, and we're going to fill up as many as we can and then ship that off to uh, Zimbabwe. They'll go by boat over to there. So uh, I, I apologize for the short notice, but uh, uh, we will do that next Saturday. So if you have things to bring, you can bring them on Wednesday night or bring them sometime before Saturday. Uh, that would be really good. Now, uh, I wanted to mention this here. Now, we have, uh, this is going to be interesting. Let's see if we can do this. Uh, God bless Brother Jeremy. And his good work that he does here for the saints at the Hickory Bible Tabernacle. And um, I'm sorry. So let's see if we can just pull this up here again. Uh, there was a, um, a minister's meeting that was held over in um, Zimbabwe. Or I'm sorry, over in Zambia. There we go. In Zambia. And... Uh, Jeremy Clay will eat your heart out. So, uh, not really. We appreciate Brother Jeremy for sure. Uh, and they had a, a minister's meeting over there in eastern uh, Zambia. This is, a, this is a very large country, very great number of believers that are over there. 
And as you have uh, heard me talk about them receiving books in the Bemba language over there, and they happen to have a really proficient translator in that part of the world. And he's been doing a fantastic work, and, and we've been able to put lots of different titles and uh, books and Bibles into that part of the world. And what's really interesting, and this is a development that's taken place now, uh, we, we have been putting books into areas and uh, assuming that, you know, one brother would take these books and distribute them around. But what's happening is uh, now they're meeting together and uh, all of these ministers come from different areas. They're taking the books and bringing them to other uh, places. So it's kind of an exponential spread. But also they're spreading outside of their own country into other countries. So uh, they're doing that of their own initiative, and they're doing that with their own cost. I'm not, I'm not uh, supporting that. Uh, I would support that if they let me know, but uh, they, they are uh, taking those books and spreading them all over the place. So it's just amazing how far uh, of, a, of a reach that uh, this work has. So it, it is not just one clump or group of ministers or one little country. It, it's spreading exponentially around there. So it's really exciting to see that. And they're pretty happy. They've got... Books, Bibles, pictures, uh, all kinds of uh, supplies that they can give out to their people. And whether they are ministers like that or people like this who are also in Zimbabwe, see the armloads of books they've got. Uh, they sang a song together, and I don't have that uh, recording here this morning, but they sang that song uh, of, of thanksgiving for us. And I'll, I'll probably send it out in an update there. Uh, but this group were very thankful. That's their church. That's that's just about the whole church uh, where they visited in a uh, kind of a tour in southern uh, Zambia there. So uh, they're very thankful. A couple of birthdays here. October 15th is Alora's birthday. Alora, that's you. How old is Alora, was Alora on her birthday? I'm, I'm behind here. How much? Three years old. She's been waiting all this time for me to announce that. October 25th is Caroline Johnson. The Johnson family are not here today. October 26th is Charity and Song's birthday, and they're not here today. Uh, October 28th is Lena Martin's birthday, right? And um, that's uh, uh, Sister Karen's granddaughter. And Matt and Melody Cross had their anniversary uh, as well. How many years was that? 16 years. God bless you. Uh, we appreciate Matt and Melody for sure. October 29th, Titus Clayville's birthday. How old? Nine years old. Wow. God bless you, Titus. And October 30th is today, David Stevens' birthday there at the, down in South Carolina. November 2nd is Jonah Cross's birthday. How old is Jonah going to be on his birthday? Three years old. God bless you. November 5th, Ben Pritchard, Morgan Cockman, and Pierce Jackson's birthday. God bless uh, all of you, and we appreciate you all very much. Well, I think that's just about all the announcements that we have today uh, that we need to bring. Not really. We have one special one. We finally got Mitchell engaged here. <clears throat> you thought I was going to forget. I did not forget. We uh, we appreciate you both. God bless you, and we wish you all the very best. I told him this morning in the office. I said life changes now forever, and uh, but it's a wonderful change, and we're thankful for both of you, and uh, thankful for God keeping you, uh, and now bringing you together. And may God bless you and your all your preparations and uh, everything that goes on now prior to your wedding, and then 
uh, the years ahead. So we're excited for you, and God bless you. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'd like to read a little passage there this morning. Now, I'm referring to this sermon as, uh, in, in title as His Choices, but I'm going to expand on that for a moment. I purposely want you to go to two places in Scripture, and the first one is 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, Lord willing, we're going to end here, but let's, let's take this reading. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. This is familiar to you. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil. And I think it's interesting that God says, you're mourning over Saul, but I'm not. He says, how long are you going to keep mourning over, over Saul? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, take something and put it in that chapter. Keep your finger there, or whatever you put in there, and turn over in the Bible to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to read a little, another little familiar passage here. And we're going to use this as kind of a, a basis here for a thought. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Now, this is Jesus describing... Uh, the 2,000 years that lay ahead of the disciples here. And there's many, many prophetic statements that are here, very important, literal, historical things that, uh, that we now know were absolutely true. But we come to the end time part now, and Jesus warns us, and he says in, in verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. May God add his blessing, and you may be seated this morning. Keep your Bible open there to 1 Samuel, if you will. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, this idea of how close things really do get in the end time. Because this is a uh, this is a, a pretty important or a pretty astounding thing that Jesus tells us is going to happen. He doesn't say it about any other age, but in this last age, in the last times, things will get so close that if it was possible, in other words, this has got to be pretty difficult to discern, but not impossible, but pretty close. That if it was possible. It would deceive even the predestinated people whose names are on the Lamb's Book of Life. This is a pretty serious statement. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing that Jesus is pointing us to. And if that's the case, if that's, if that's the way that it is, then, my goodness, we probably need to talk a little bit more about this verse and this idea of how close is God going to get and how important or how 
you know, how difficult or how, how much of a, a, a likeness is this going to be to the very end? Now, there's things about this that we don't know. I mean, there's, there's, uh, we've had theories in the past about what it was that was going to attempt to deceive the elect. We, 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 we wondered and we probed a little bit over the years, uh, in our years in the message and thought, well, it's the Pentecostal church. Well, no, it can't be them because they're moving so far away from what we would consider to be, uh, something deceptive. Right? I mean, the modern Pentecostal church today of 2022. Sister Leah, good to have you with us today as well. The modern Pentecostal church is not going to deceive anyone who's involved in the message because that's really digressed so far away from where, uh, where they were, uh, we'd say. That's not really going to be a deceptive force. We know that the denominational system, World Council of Churches, any kind of a, uh, a movement like that is not going to be deceptive because uh, that's kind of, uh, it doesn't take much probing to lift the cover and see what those things really are. So therefore, it's got to be something closer to home. I'm not here today and I'm not interested at all in naming names or uh, trying to identify individuals or anything else, not at all. But I'm just, I'm just curious about patterns in the scripture that, that uh, help us to see See how close God will actually come to to uh, dealing with people and presenting a an almost like presenting an image that this person is the chosen of God or the the person that God is using in a particular hour and and they're not uh, they're not predestinated at all and so this becomes a really interesting thing now I don't have a lot of voice I can tell I don't have a lot of voice to be able to really push uh, but I do have a lot to say. So uh, I'm not I'm not going to try to go for length, but I'm going to go for quality here this morning. So just uh, stay with me if you don't mind. I wish I had a, a, a dollar for every time somebody said to me that they felt led, that God was telling them to do something, and they felt that this was right. This is, and it, and it may seem contrary to uh, logic or whatever else, but you know they're convinced absolutely that this is the will of God. And then as they get along up the road a little while, and uh, things become kind of tight, or things become hard, or become difficult, uh, they they will they will sometimes tell me, or I'll even follow up. And I'm not talking about you people here today, but in times past, or you know, dealing with lots of other in conversation with lots of other people, and they'll they'll say, "Well, we're doing something different now." Well, did God change His mind, or uh, was God wrong and you were right? Or and I'm not being sarcastic, but sometimes you wonder, uh, what is it? What is it that changed? Did it only change because it became more difficult, or did it change because it be, the way it became more narrow? Uh, and those are all real things, but uh, I wish I had a dollar for every time people told me that, that they felt like this was the will of God, and then down the road when things became tight or difficult, they switched and did something else and did something different. I will tell you that following in the will of God is not always the easiest thing to do. Following through with God's choices for your life is not always an easy thing. But if it is God's choice, you're better off following that than anything else. You're better off following that way than anything else that you may come up with or logically might be the easier or better way. Uh, you're better off following God's choices, right? So his choices really do matter in our lives. And sometimes it, it, takes, uh, it takes a knowing or a realization after the fact that, you know, that really was God's choice. Even marriage in the perfect will of God can be trying sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about any of you, but even in the perfect will of God, marriage can be a challenge because, you know, hey, number one, you're of two different genders, right? 
And, uh, you know, you have two entirely different thermostats. You have entirely two different ways of looking at life. You have two entirely different backgrounds. And you're, since you're not a clone of the other, there's going to be differences in a marriage relationship. That doesn't mean that it's not the will of God. And that doesn't mean that it's not God's choice for you. Right? Now, there are some extraordinary instances, I understand that, and I don't want to uh, take away from that, but uh, even in the perfect will of God, God's choice for you can be a difficult thing. So, we look at God's choices. Now, you think, okay, uh, all right, Brother Barry, you should be at the youth camp if you're talking about everybody making choices uh, about salvation or giving their heart to God. That's not what I'm talking about at all. So, stay with me here as we develop this thought. Now, Brother Branham says in 1957, he said, I have no education, just my grammar school, but I'm taught by scholars. And he had people around him who uh, he looked to sometimes for help and direction here in understanding words and sources. He said, I'm taught uh, that the word used, giving everlasting life, or the Greek word is called zoe, which means the life of God. He said, then God's love projected to you brings you and makes you a part of him in the new birth. God's love projected to you. It's not because you deserve it, but God's love is projected to you through predestination, right? And he says, now through a new birth you become part of him. And then you become a child which is born of or comes from. And that puts you in relationship with God so much that you're now sons and daughters of God. Uh, now, we know, uh, without going into whole lots of detail here, we know that you don't all of a sudden start off with eternal life. If you have eternal life, you always had it. Isn't that correct? If you have eternal life, it never did begin at the altar, and it didn't begin in a certain service, and it didn't begin uh, when somebody handed you a message book. You always had eternal life. You just never knew it. But God spoke a word that uncovered that gene of God that laid in you. And all of a sudden there was a quickening experience and a new birth. And you come to life and you realize, wow, I'm not only a son of my parents, but I'm a son of God. And I have eternal life. And so it's a realization more than a beginning. As a matter of fact, if you had eternal, if you have eternal life, you don't even have a beginning. Come on, folks. If we, if we have eternal life, we don't have a beginning. We are as eternal as God is. That's the truth. And, and so therefore now, what Brother Branham is helping us to understand in a very simple way, and I've got a couple of other statements here related to this, is that when a person is born again, they realize now that they're in relationship with God. And this relationship is a very important thing. We'll come back to it in just a moment here. Now, again, let me just speak uh, for a moment here about God's choices here. And uh, I've got lots of statements. I'm not going to use them all, but just bear with me here, because this gives us a typical idea of this concept of God's choices. And I said to your pastor this afternoon, Brother Branham here, he's speaking about uh, Brother Matson Bose, he said, this is going to be one of the greatest meetings I've ever seen. Or either I uh, miss the will of, will of the Lord. And he said, I never had Satan to fight me so hard as he did coming out here. And when Brother Williams invited me some time ago, I just kind of hesitated a little bit. And I said, I'll let you know a little later because I believe in praying over things before we make our choice. And let it be God's choice. Let it be God's choice. 
So Brother Bram's giving us a real important principle that if you're going to do anything, and you know, uh, with old Mitchell over here, and now we're going to refer to him as old Mitchell, having gone over the hill now, and you know, he's uh, down, going downward, I'm only joking, sort of. But uh, now is not the time for him to be praying about God's choice, right? He would... And and this is one thing that we have talked about and we've taught a lot about is that a person needs to pray before making that choice. Right? And and Brother Branham is saying that I I, I have an invitation, there's there's an opportunity for me, but it may not be the will of God. So I want to pray first and make sure this is God's choice. And I will say this to all of you and all of you young people and whoever hears this, that, uh, you know, just because you have opportunities to do something does not always mean that that's God's will. And you can, you can be faced with a lot of choices in life, going to college or marrying somebody or, uh, you know, starting in the ministry or uh, moving from one church to another. There may be opportunities and there might be logic in it. And there might be, uh, there might be you know, this may make a lot of sense. Or this is what everybody else is doing. Or this is what uh, uh, everyone is telling me I should do. But you know what? What's most important is that it is God's choice. And then when you're in that channel, finding out whether it's God's choice, and God begins to lead you, then uh, you know what? That's a safer place. That's a better place to be. Now, Brother Bannum, again, and he, he's, he's talking personally here. He says, now, uh, if I testify of the truth, he said, God will testify of me. And I, if I do not testify the truth, God will never have anything to do with a lie. God will also always testify truth, though. And I'm not here just to be seen. I'm out here not by choice, by a long ways. I was a game warden in the state of Indiana, and I loved my job. I was born for the wilderness and wilds. It wasn't my choice to preach the gospel, but woe unto me if I preach it not. It was God's choice. And I run from it and tried to get away from it and everything. So, Brother Bram's giving us a second important principle here, and I think it's worth mentioning that, uh, even if, even if, uh, everything about you and the way that you are made and the way that you, uh, you love things and God put a certain love or passion for you in, in, uh, in your heart. And he said, there is a, a choice that God has about your life that you're better off following here. And uh, even if you try to run from it, you know, we think of Jonah, we think of different people uh, who are on a different path altogether. It's very simple now, but stay with me here. He said, it was God's choice, so I knew to give in to that, even though it would not be my first choice, but it was God's first choice. Now, to me, that takes a spiritual man to stand back and say, you know what, that's not really what I would like to do. And Brother Bram often alludes to this idea, if I had my way, I'd go to the wilderness. If I had my way, I'd go hunt, you know, trap uh, uh, beaver or something up in the mountains there. I'd be a mountain man. And many times he makes that reference. As a matter of fact, he seriously considered that because of the reactions of the people that were around him and the indifference that people had to the gift and all the confusion that followed his ministry. You know, people trying to make it this and use him for this or that. And he was ready to to just wash his hands and stand back. Hey, every one of us feel that way at certain times. You feel like, hey, I'd like to stop this train where it is and just get off here. But you know what Brother Bram said? I don't want to do that because there are consequences if I do that. 
Now, I will tell you something on a much, much, much smaller scale. If I felt that way and said, you know what, uh, man, I, I just, I just, listen, there's lots of good churches around and a lot of people are tired of me and, uh, they've heard all my stories and, uh, you know, no one, no one says, way to go, pastor, anymore. No one says, oh, wow, what a great sermon that was. So, you know what, I'm just gonna back out and I'm just gonna go work in my wood shop and I'm gonna be there and, hey, uh, hap, you know, happy, uh, rest of the Gentile church age and see you in the millennium. And you would, you know, logically, logically, even if I felt that way, my decision is going to affect a lot of people. That decision would affect a lot of people. So I got to, I got to really make sure is that, is that God's choice for me right now? Might I remind you again that the typical retirement age is right in my neighborhood? I might, uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, pre, I'm not suggesting anything here at all. I'm just using this as an example. Brother Branham had to really consider this because he knew there were consequences. Paul mentions the same thing in First Corinthians. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He knew the consequences of act, you know, purposely looking at God's will for his life and going against that. He knew what that was like. Brother Branham knew what that was like, right? Lost a wife and a, and a daughter in that whole, a whole decision that he made, and he was influenced to do it by his uh, mother-in-law. And, uh, you know, there may have been logic to it. There may have been cultural issues to it or whatever else. Whatever the reason, he was convinced away from God's choice for his life and paid a price. Brother Branham didn't want to pay that price again. So that's why even though he mentions that, he doesn't actually go through with that. But he's got a, he's got this love in his heart for being out in the wild, you know, and being out in the wilderness because he was anointed with the same spirit as John the Baptist and Elijah and so forth. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So he says, I gotta be sure that if this is God's choice for me and I go forward, then you know what? I've got to do it to the best of my ability, and I don't want to take advantage of my position. I don't want to take advantage of the confidence that people have in me, and I don't want to take advantage of anything that may be quite resourceful for me, like people, uh, you know, making a lot of money out of this and and uh, bettering myself in an extraordinary way. Paul says, I had to be, I got to do this within the boundaries that God has laid down. So it's not only God's choice, but I got to do it God's way. Are we okay? So God's choice is a very important thing. Brother Bram said, now, it's not him that wants to get saved, that's saved. It's him that's saved by God's choice. And Esau wanted to get saved too, and he wept bitterly, but he couldn't find no place to repent. Next paragraph. And Esau tried to get right with God and couldn't, and Pharaoh tried to get right with God and couldn't. So it's not you, it's not what you want, it's what God has ordained for you to do. Wow. All right, now, let's talk about a little bit about our choices now, okay? We, we know that God has choices. Let's talk about our choices for a minute. Now, the men here, all this is a preamble, by the way. We're still, if you still have your finger stuck in Second Samuel, or First Samuel, uh, you can take it out and wiggle it, because it's probably turned blue by now, but uh, stay with me here. We're going to go there in a moment. Now, the men here in the city, he said, 
Let's just say the men here in the city, they want to become religious. Let's just say that God, uh, you know, does something, does a revival strikes. And uh, Brother Bram said they want to become religious. Now watch what he says is a normal routine. The first thing he'll hunt for is one of the biggest churches he can find. Great stained windows, plush pews. That's where he thinks he finds God because it's big. It's big. I'm going to go there because, you know what? I heard they had so many programs that no matter what my likes are, I'm going to find some group within that church. Fishing for Jesus Club or the, uh, you know, the bikers, uh, bikers angels. Or we're going to find, uh, you know, picnic every Saturday f- group for moms and kids or, uh, you know, doctors, uh, doctors, uh, fellowship or whatever else. And some of those big churches have all the great music. They promise they're not going to keep you there more than an hour, right? And they also flash out there, come as you are. So you don't have to dress up. You don't have to have your Sunday best. You can just kind of go. And the greatest draw and attraction in all those great big churches is coffee. You're exactly right. You can, they, they probably have big gulper holders in their, in their pews and, and they can bring coffee. And if they forget it, they can buy it in the lobby or drive through on the side and have coffee in the church. Uh, I mean, I'm still looking for a quote where Brother Brandon would allow that. But either way, I just want to say this. They, a lot of people look at those churches because they provide just about everything for everybody, so why not go there? In a little small church, a little small country church, you're probably going to freeze your feet off and be too hot up, up on the upper half, right? Because that church is built in the 1900s, and it probably doesn't have good AC, and they don't have any preachers in the church. And so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough there. And the winter's going to be cold and all the rest. So, I mean, in a little church, it's going to be a different story. But now let's look at it how Brother Brandon looked at it. He said because it's big, that's where he thinks he's going to find God. He may be a dignitary, and it may be celebrities go there. That doesn't mean that God's there. Usually, now he doesn't say always, but usually... God's choice is a little old mission on the corner somewhere where they're beating a tambourine, clapping their hands. Sometimes, and I, I, I appreciate him saying it this way. He doesn't always say, that's, you know what, that's always where God's at. He doesn't say that because you, you can't limit God. You can't put God in a box and say, God, you've got to show up at this little humble church. Or we're humble, so therefore you've got to come. Or we're only half, half full today. So therefore, you know, you gotta show up here because we're now falling into this class of the humble little group. No. You're better off not telling God what He has or has not to do. But notice now, He says, see the human side, the humanistic spirit. They look for that big, bright, shining something and they jump at everything they see shining. But all that glitters is not gold. You can remember that. All that glitters is not gold. So normally, now he's talking about the humanistic way of, of making decisions here. And you've got to be careful because something that looks big or looks fancy or something else, it, it still may not be the will of God. Uh, I mean, it could be, uh, you know, it could be the, if in, in the message. I mean, now you have quite a variety of churches, right, that you can go to. Some people have rent a simple storefront. Some people have a larger church. And there's not anything wrong with one versus the other. There's no shame in having a smaller church. There's no glory in having a bigger church. Let me tell you something. When we get over on the other side, I believe we'll all arrive at the same time. 
I said, when I, we get over on the other side, I believe we'll all arrive at the same time. Well, let me say that again. I believe that when we get over there, there's not going to be any uh, group of people who are from a prominent minister's, a well-known name, and his church, and they're going to get there first. Or the people who attended every single camp meeting, they're not going to get in first. I believe we're all going to enter in as the bride of Christ. We're all going to get there together. And you know what? The important thing is not necessarily who gets there first, but that we get there. That's the important thing. And I believe we'll all be singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, when we cross over the other side. Now, again, now, Brother Branham, he says, no man seeks God at any time, but God seeks you. And it wasn't you calling for God. It was God calling for you. And when God called you, it showed uh, this principle of election, that God chose you not because of your works. I mean, he certainly didn't choose me because of my works. But, uh, you know, he He, he chose us, and that, that meant that uh, there's a, a, a drawing that God has in our time here. Now, again, I'm, I want to move through this. Now, today, Brother Branham said, we select our preachers and we go around and say, well, one of the deacons quit. Let's find the best man in the building to take his place. Well, the pastor quit. Let's go out and find the best. Sometimes that's not right. That's not the right way to do it. Sometimes that's not the right way. And when they selected a man to take Judas' place, they got the wrong man. Remember, the disciples were 11. There should have been 12, and there were only 11. So they got a gentleman, Matthias, a great scribe, a scholar, and a diplomat. And he'll just take the place. Boy, he looks like a real man. But it wasn't God's choice. And he took this man, and he never done nothing for God. His name is never mentioned again in the Bible. Now, listen, we'll probably see Matthias over on the other side, because in the estimation of people who hung around with Jesus... They looked at Matthias and said, now that's a good man. So I would say that we would probably run into Matthias over on the other side. And there's nothing at all wrong with the fact that he was not uh, there, God's choice to fill in that spot there. But God had a plan. And they were not being rebellious here. They were just trying to do what they thought was the expedient thing. And that is put a man in here uh, to make us an even number 12. Because if we're going to go out two by two, we're either going to have to send somebody out alone or we're going to have a threesome. And that's not going to work as it'll look too much like the Trinity. So therefore, we need another man to make 12. So we'd have an even division here, six groups going out. And uh, are you following me this morning? So therefore, it was just that it was not God's choice. That's not what God had in mind. Now watch now, I'm going to follow through with the same quote. But you know, sometimes God makes, to our opinion, some of the most foolish choices. To our opinion, to our way of looking at it, God seen a little hook-nosed Jew full of temper as he could be and, and said, this is what Paul said, I'll go down and arrest every one of them and throw them in jail. And he said, that was God's choice. There ain't a one of us. There ain't a one of us that would have looked at Paul out there railing against the, the new Christian group and, and criticizing them and actually uh, being a part of their uh, arrest process and uh, getting trying to squelch this whole movement. And you would have gone up to him and say, God bless your brother. One day you're going to be a real brother. Oh, we're looking forward to washing your feet one day. Come yeah, right. I mean, Paul would have been offended at that, I think, if you went up to Paul prior to the uh, road to Damascus here. But he said that was God's choice. And the rest of them took a scholar or a diplomat. That's the church's choice. But you see, he said, you don't know who that is at the altar. 
You don't know who you're testifying to in jail or wherever. It might look like a pugilist. Anybody know what a pugilist is? What? A boxer. Brother Branham said, it might be a pugilist, somebody with their ears broke down, their eyes skinned out. Uh, But he said, you don't know who that is. Pugilism is the old English word for, for boxer. And Brother Branham was a boxer, so that's how he knew that. And he said, you can cast your lot, that's all. He said, Give him the word. You don't know who you're witnessing to. You just cast your lot. You cast your bread on the waters and see what God does. It's God working in the heart. It's not you converting anybody. My goodness, if you could convert somebody, uh, you, number one, you'd start with your kids, right? And then your grandkids and all the people around you and the people you don't like in the church. Uh, you know, you'd start converting everybody, right? Thank God he never gave conversion uh, to uh, that job to us. But your job is to be a witness or a carrier of the light and the word and the message that you have in this day. You're to be a light in a dark world and go out there and tell people what God has done. And Jesus Christ is alive. He's real. And, he, and he's done something great in this last day. And then you let God deal with that person. But you don't know who that is. You take somebody like Brother Tim Ashong there, gone around in jails and different places all over remote parts of the world and native villages and so on, and have nothing at all in their life, and go in there and preach the gospel, and he come back next year, and there's believers in that, in that village. You know, it's just an amazing thing. And Brother Bram says, you don't know, because God didn't tell you. Your job is just to be a witness. And he said, you don't know who you're testifying to. And he said, so therefore, God has a choice. God's got something in mind. You're just not to go at it with a made-up mind. You're supposed to go at it with an openness that God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And again now, God chose this little high-timbered Jew, and on his road down there, he said, I'll go get him and I'll show him what I can do. And God just knocked him down and said to everybody, hey, that's my choice. Common sense to tell you that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Wouldn't that be foolish to the church? Why he persecutes the church? But God knew what was on the inside of that man. In the same way, listen, that God could look at Abram, a root seller, in this little heathen part of the world and say, that's the father of the faith right there. And 75 years old, and begin to deal with him and bring him out of that land and bring him into Israel. Or the way that Dave, God, uh, God could uh, go send the prophet down to David's house and tell Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the next, the, the next king of Israel. And they're looking around at each other. And my, they got, well, I guess this is who it's going to be, and I guess this is who it's going to be. And you know what? God knew exactly what was in the, on the inside of every one of those sons. And God knew exactly where his king was. God doesn't need to have a person standing right here or being even in the faith before God knows them that are his. But the consolation is that God does know them that are his. Now, remember now, keep in mind here, we're talking about how close things can get. Let me go fast. I, I found this amazing. I found this amazing how Brother Branham said this. You remember Dathan and Korah in the Bible? Right? If there's anybody in the Bible you want to be like, it's not Dathan and Korah for sure. Right? But watch what he says here in the next two screens. Korah, I believe he was sincere in his act. I believe the man didn't mean to go wrong. I believe it was the ignorance of the man that didn't see the hand of God moving and know the scripture. That's the reason he just brought it to reasoning. It doesn't make sense for us to go any farther in the wilderness. It makes sense for us to go back. We had security. At least we had three squares a day. Everybody had a job. I know things were tight. But listen, let's go back. And that was the reasoning that he had. And now just about 90% 
of the trouble today that we try to inject into the program of God our thinking. I'm just saying what he said. If that's true, you better pray that you're in that 10% in the choices you make. You see what he's saying? That's a really large margin of decisions or choices that are made that are really people imposing their will or their thoughts into this. And we're not supposed to think at all. He does our thinking. We're supposed to surrender our thinking to his will. Let me just say this. I mean, that sounds a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult for us, especially in Laodicea here in the age of people's rights. And I'm not just talking about you, but I'm talking about people in general. Uh, but we are supposed to have, as believers, number one, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. Right? And if we're thinking the mind of Christ, then we're going to come in tune with God's choices and not our choices here at all, our choices at all. But he says, now, he, he, he wants to do our thinking. He wants to, he wants to come to the right conclusion in us. He wants us to make, make it feel even like that. I, you know what? I, I've got this. I, I understand what God wants me to do and then go out in faith and do it. And God wants to do that. And we're supposed to surrender our thinking to his will. Then he says, Korah with Good intent. His motive was good. His intention was, was, I mean, I'm just saying what he says. He went around with a false doctrine telling those brothers, showing them by reason that God hadn't only blessed Moses, the prophet, but the whole congregation was holy and the whole congregation has a right to do this or that. Man. And so they got a good man and the Levites... Now that's God's choice, which we call today the ministers. The Levite was the minister of the temple. So now God had made a choice that this particular tribe here, and Aaron, uh, sorry, Moses was his prophet, but uh, Korah now, he goes about it the wrong way. He's got good intent, but sometimes good intent doesn't cut it. Are we okay? And even with good intent doesn't mean he was right. And here he never went at it irreverent, he wasn't shaking his fist at God or anything, but he told them to take censers and put holy fire in it, incense over the top, and wave this incense, which was the command of God. And they came to make a group of men to control the church, where God had commanded one man to do so. And you can see there's, there's different ideas. Put the church out by itself, and you'll have uh, people in there with their own ideas. But God had a way. And God had a way, not there was going to be a council or there's going to be a denomination here, but it was going to be one man. And that man was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to the prophet, Right? But how many know that God also had in mind a king one day to rule over Israel? There are 89 references to a king directly from the book of Genesis to 1 Samuel chapter 8, which we're going to read a little bit this morning. 89 references there. Because God did have in mind to have a king. He definitely did want to have a king one day. But the way that God had set it up was that uh, there was going to be a, a leadership, supernatural, by the pillar of fire and the cloud, and a prophet out there moving them along. But Korah had, he had good intent, bless his heart. And when you say bless his heart, you can say whatever you want to after that. Bless his heart. As sincere as he was, he was sincerely wrong. So we know what the end result was, or the fruit of, of Korah's uh, program. It, it wound up in a big pit. And, and you don't want to wind up there either. So you can't come to God just with good intentions. Like, I really want to marry that girl. I really want to marry her. Just because I feel it's right. 
And everything about me uh, feels it's right. And after all, I'm 18 years old, and I really, it's time. I'm getting old, and I need to get married right now. And I feel like that's the will of God. Well, you might be really sincere, but you might be really wrong. And you're better off having God's choice, especially in that area, than just something based on your feelings, right? All right. If you don't mind, take your Bible, and let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. Let's take a look here. <coughs> now, excuse me, I'm not going to get to all of this here this morning, but I'd like to uh, just develop this because I want to show you how close this gets in the way God deals with Saul and then looking at David as well. And it came to pass, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, when Samuel was old, he made his sons judge over Israel. Well, that didn't work out. Verse 3, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And the people, the elders, in verse 4, they all gathered themselves together, and they said this in verse 5, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Make us a king. And this is where it starts. Now, God had in mind to have a king. But here they are jumping the gun, and they want to have, they want to have a king of their own choice. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king. And then in 7 it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. Now remember now, God knows what's in their heart, and they're bent on having a king. Because they look at this order that God's established, and they're not, they're not at rest with that at all. And they don't want to have, my goodness, if Samuel's sons, the sons of a prophet, went and turned out like they did, how could we ever trust another prophet that comes here? So let's have a king like everybody else. And they have not, he says, God says to Samuel, they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. Now, therefore, verse 9, hearken unto their voice, howbeit, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Let them have it, but I want you to protest solemnly. Get in their face and tell them these things. And it begins at verse 10, goes all the way down basically to the end of the chapter there. And Samuel is given the job to tell the people, hey, you know what? People are going to do what they're going to do. Right? My mother-in-law always used to say that. People are going to do what they're going to do. And that's really true. You ever had people come to you with an idea? And they presented like, what do you think of this? And you know what? In reality, they've already got their mind made up a week of Sundays ago. They're just looking for allies, all right? And then I find out, Brother Branham said the same thing. He said, people are going to do the, the, people are going to do what they want to do. And that's where she got the statement, which makes sense. Now watch now in verse 19. Nevertheless, despite Samuel's objections, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, nay, but we'll have a king. Yeah, we heard you, uh, and we understand what you said, but you know what? We want a king anyway. And that was their attitude. And that we also may be like all the other nations of the earth. Now, what's interesting is that Saul is not here. He's not in this conversation at all. And now, all of, you know, the people are, they're, they're delighted in a sense because they are going to have their way and they're going to have a king and uh, all of this uh, stuff begins to happen. And Saul, who is, from a wealthy family in the house of Benjamin, 
there, uh, you know, he's off in, in another uh, part of the country, and you can read it in chapter 9 here. And, and it says that in verse 11, I'm in chapter 9, verse 11, follow me a little bit here through the Bible. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, is the seer there? And they answered and said, he is, behold, he's before you. And, and this is all happening around Saul, and he doesn't have any idea what's going on. But Samuel had said, these things are going to happen, and Saul is just kind of an innocent bystander in all of this. And so finally, as you go down through the chapter here in verse 16, tomorrow about this time I'll send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. Thou shalt anoint him to do, be captain over my people, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cries come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, and this is the first time they met, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I take, I, whom I speak to thee of, of the same shall reign over my people. I can imagine now. Listen, listen to what I'm going to tell you. Saul and Samuel had never met before. But God tells Samuel, hey, give the people what they want. They're going to go for it anyway. And you know what? Uh, if they, if they don't do it this way, then they're going to go around your back and do it anyway. Uh, no matter, no, and God knows the hearts of the people just like, uh, he did in the days of Noah and knew what, knew what the outcome was going to be. Do you believe that God knows what outcomes are going to be? That's the same God we serve, right? So now think about this. Samuel and Saul have never met. And so finally, Samuel confronts Saul comes in front of him, and God says, this is the man. He said, I'm going to use this man now to lead the nations, uh, to lead, lead him against the Philistines. And he said, he'll save the nation of Israel. This is the man. But let me tell you what else has also been said. In the book of Genesis in chapter 49, you remember the story where Jacob's dying, and he says on his deathbed, gather all my sons around. And right in the middle of that chapter, Judah stands in front of him, and he says, Judah... He says, the scepter shall never depart from thee, and out of thee shall come kings. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says to to, uh, Judah. So therefore, godly kings always had to come out of Judah. Where's Saul from? Benjamin. And so therefore, even if if God allows Saul to be in this position here, he knows it ain't going to work. You know what? Because it isn't God's choice. It's the people's choice. This is what the people want. He's given them Saul because he knows what the people want. And here's a man, a young man, and he was handsome and tall. He was, the, he was a foot over everybody else. And he was a kind of a guy that looked like a leader and probably had a deep voice and, uh, you know, had some confidence about him. And so God says, I know exactly what's in the hearts of the people and I know what they're going to look for. So Samuel, I'm going to lead you to this guy and that's the man right there. But you know what? He can never be my choice because he's not in line with Genesis chapter 49. So no matter how hard he tries, and no matter what he does, and no matter how many battles he wins, or no matter how many good speeches or sermons he gives, he is not the one because he's not my choice, because God does not choose contrary to his word. And let me tell you something, David David was always the attack, he was always the point of attack for Saul, right? I mean, Saul went after David all of his life, for the last part of it, and, and chased David around, because... David had the promise of being the next king in Israel. But let me tell you, the other thing that Saul was concerned about was Genesis 49. He knew inherently he was from the wrong tribe. And there's nothing can change that. So Saul is actually running from two things. He's trying to do away with David, but he also knows, (coughs) excuse me, 
that it cannot change Genesis 49. He's from the wrong tribe, so it'll never work. Excuse me, and it never did. Now watch now. Verse 21, they draw Saul in. Chapter 9. And Saul answered and said, I'm not a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes. Samuel says, come to my house. We're going to have a dinner. And Saul says, hey, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And Samuel took Saul, his servant, and he said, now listen, watch now. And they brought him into the parlor and made him sit in the chief place among them that were bidden. And there was about 30 people. You know where he's arrived? He's arrived in the inner circle. He's kind of in the premium group. He's got, he's got a place at this table with Samuel and 29 others who were, I mean, the leaders of Israel. And Saul, he doesn't know. I mean, yesterday he was just a, you know, a laborer out here in the field. And now he's sitting here in the inner circle of these decision makers of the people of God. The land of Israel, these are the high priests and the elders and all the other uh, ceremonial people who are in Israel. And Saul is sitting there at the table, and he's looking at this, and Samuel's brought him in to enjoy that. And Samuel said unto the cook, verse 23, bring the portion uh, which I gave thee, which I said unto thee, set by thee. And he took the shoulder and gave it to uh, Saul, and he began to eat it and so forth. And uh, the Bible says at the end of chapter, verse 24, He said, I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. You know what? All of a sudden, Saul is friends with Samuel. Like, whoa, we're right here. I'm sitting at this table with the inner circle of the elite of Israel, and Samuel's right next to me. Man, the prophet of God is right next to me. And Saul is sitting there. Wow. And then it says, they come down from the high place, and they... Go and and, and, uh, Samuel gives instructions and so forth. I'm in chapter 10 now. And Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? This is why I'm doing this. This is not because God has pointed you out to me. Now, I'm, I'm asking a fundamental question here in this whole thing this morning. How close will God allow this to get? And he's not the choice of God. Now remember, this has, this has nothing to do with your choices here. We're not talking about your choices today. I assume you're all here today because at one point or another you've chosen Christ as your personal Savior. I hope you have. And you've made good choices in your life, and that's why you're here, and we're thankful for that. And, and some of you not part of our church made a decision to come to church. Good choice, and I, I thank you for that. This, has, this story has nothing to do with you, or this is not on our level here. This is God actually arranging things, so he puts a man in here who's not his choice, but to everybody's view, they're looking at and saying this, wow, this, this, this Saul guy must be pretty important. He must be pretty good. I mean, for where he's, where he's come now, and Samuel's anointed him to be the king over Israel, and he's not God's choice. Some of you are looking at me funny. Let me tell you, he's there because the people wanted him there. And if God had not identified him to Samuel, the people would have went out and voted someone like Saul to come into the place and and be there anyway. Because that was what was in their hearts to do. But God says, hey, you know, that's the way the people are thinking. Let them go do it. Now watch now. Here's here's where where it gets really interesting. As we go down in chapter 10 here, verse 6, 
Samuel is still talking to Saul, and he says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them. You're going to run into a bunch of people who are worshiping. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And he says, uh, And thou shalt prophesy with them. In other words, you're going to be endued with gifts now today, and the Spirit of God will be there, the Spirit of the Lord. That's what it says, the Spirit of the Lord. And shall be turned into another man. This isn't going to be the old Saul that we knew. This is now the, the, the man Saul with the Spirit of the Lord on him. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Verse 9, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Saul, God gave him, you ready? Another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. Now, hey, folks, come on, let's be honest. If you were an observer of this whole event, and you were coming behind with a pad of paper and a pen and describe, wow, Saul's a new man. And he's got a, wow, he's got an anointing and he's got an oil all over him from the prophet and all of these things, checking the boxes, right? Checking the boxes. Man, this sure looks like God's choice. But you know what? They still have Genesis 49 looming over the top of everything. How far will God go? That's my question. And the people are saying in verse 11, wow, is Saul among the prophets? I mean, did we have another prophet among us here? We didn't even know because now here he is prophesying. He's eating lunch with the prophets. He's got anointing oil on him. He's got gifts. He's got the spirit of the Lord. He's got a new heart. Wow. I mean, if you were an observer looking at this and checking the boxes, you'd have a lot of boxes checked here. Huh. Verse 23 of the same chapter, chapter 10. And they ran, they fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him in all the, among all the people. And the people shouted, God save the king. That make you homesick, Brother Mark? And Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote in the book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the way, all the people away to their house. You know what they're doing? They're all going home singing, God save the king. We've got a king. We're like all the other nations. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. God is good. It's going to be a great day. Yes, sir. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. They're happy as a pigs in a poke there because all of a sudden now they got a king and they got a prophet like Samuel and they got a king as a great guy. I mean, he's a handsome guy. Everything seems to be working out great. Until the first test. You want to look at the first test? The first test is this. Nahash the Ammonite. Now stop there. This guy's got to be a bad guy. You can tell just by his name. Who in their right mind as a mother would name their child? I'm going to call him Nahash. Ah. And encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. But here's an enemy of Israel now. Nahash the Ammonite answered and said, On this one condition I'll make a covenant with you. In other words, I won't kill you all if you do this, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for reproach upon all Israel. That was the deal. I'll spare your life, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all your right eyes out of your head, pile them up, and let them be a sign. Now, 
This is, if you haven't figured this out, this is an occasion where people, uh, you probably have a prayer time here, because uh, <laughs> this is a pretty bleak ultimatum. Now, I, I want to, I'm going to read what Brother Bram says about this now in just a moment here. But to make a long story short, the elders of Jabesh, they, they say, my goodness, what are we going to do? Now, there's not many of them here, but this is going to, obviously, when you let the enemy in a little bit, and the enemy steals your sight, you know what? You're going to fail to recognize the next move the enemy is going to make now, right? Hey, this is not f- history, folks. Don't, don't leave this back in history here. What Satan loves to do is to take people's vision away. Without a vision, what happens? The people perish, right? And so this is the first tactic here. So now the people start to say, oh, there's only a few of us here, but what are we going to do? So you know what they do? They make a beeline for the king. Because after all, now kings control armies. And so therefore, we're going to go find the king. So they, they, go, they travel across the country and they go find the king. Verse 5, and behold, Saul came after uh, the herd out of the field. He's still herding cattle. And Saul said, what's wrong with the people? Why do they weep? And they told him the tidings of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these tidings. And his anger was kindled greatly. He says, give me an ox. Let me tell you the story. He takes the oxen. Cohen, I wish I had a table. You should be thankful, buddy, I don't have a table. Because you know what he did? He took that oxen and he cut it up on all little pieces. No, we'll not do it today. We don't have enough, only because we don't have enough time. But he took that oxen and cut it up in all these little pieces. You can imagine now with him hacking away at that oxen on the table like this. And they took all the pieces and put them on a cart. And he must have been bloody and holding a knife in his hand. And he said, take this cart all over the land of Israel and let everybody see it. And this is what a man is going to look like if he doesn't show up and defend the people against Jab- the enemy Jabesh here. And uh, Nahash, the, 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 the enemy, and, and take this cart and off you go. And tell him, tell him, Samuel and Saul has said this. That was the message. Tell them that Samuel and Saul has said, you better come or you're going to look like this oxen here. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you again. What did verse 6 say? And the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And he took that yoke of oxen. And it says in verse 7 there, I'm reading the middle of the verse, Whosoever cometh not after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto the oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people. And they came with one consent. Now, come on. If that oxen showed up here in Hickory and you took a look at it, got the message, you'd say, honey, I got a job to do. I'll be back a couple of days. Because you don't want to wind up like this oxen. Now, listen to Brother Branham. And we find the enemy was going to come into a little bunch of God's people and was going to pluck out the right eyes of every man. And that's what the enemy always tries to do is to pluck both eyes if he can so the people cannot see what they're doing. And that's what Satan tries to do today to every Christian is pluck out his spiritual sight that he can only follow the intellectual sense of things and not the sense of the Holy Spirit leading him. So then when they did that, when the great defeat come and Saul cut up two great oxen, sent them to all the people. Are you ready now for what he said? And I wish you would notice here 
when Saul sent the pieces of ox to all Israel and said, let every man that will not follow Samuel and Saul, let this ox be as this. Let let him be like this ox in here. And do you just see how deceitful he tried to represent himself with the man of God? How unchristian that was. And the fear of the people was because of Samuel. Hey, because they're hearing the message that Samuel has sent word, if you don't show up, you're going to be like this oxen. Isn't that the message that, that Saul sent? Saul said, Samuel and Saul have said, if you don't show up, you're going to be like this oxen. Well, you know what? The people's respect was with Saul. Or sorry, with Sam, or Saul. Samuel, the prophet. And they said, well, hey, you know what? If Samuel said it, uh, we better go. Because they knew this was a prophet of the Lord. Saul is a new thing, but Samuel is a prophet. And so they're saying, wow, if this is really Samuel saying this, we better go. I mean, it's our duty to go. And the fear of the people was because of Samuel. But Saul got them all to follow him because the people feared Samuel. You know what this is? This is the first test. This is Sam, uh, sorry, I get my Saul's and Samuel's mixed up. Hear me right, even if I say it wrong. Saul is now faced with the first challenge here. And this is, he figures out, how can I get the people to follow me? They don't have any respect for me, so how can I do it? Well, I'll make them all scared, and I'll use Samuel's name in this, and uh, I'll make them do what I want, I want to get done because I want to have the people to follow me. After all, I'm the king. Can I say something here that I hope you'll understand? That just because somebody says, Brother Branham says this, you don't always need to be afraid of it unless you know it blends with the whole thing. I've had people, I, I've had people sit down with quote, books of quotes that are cut out and put in pages to show only that portion of the quote they want you to see. And it says what they believe, or most often, that I'm able to marry another woman even though I've been double married. All right? And they'd have it all day. I had a guy who sat down with the, with the flip book, and he flipped through all the quotes there. And I, I, I asked him, I said, hey, show me a Bible verse where you can vouch for that. Uh, I mean, give me, give me your biblical permission here that you have. Give me your biblical mandate or your permission that comes from God here to do this. Because if Brother Branham truly was a prophet, and you must put a lot of stock in him because you're showing me his quotes here, and you want me to believe every word that Brother Branham's saying, even though you're cutting off the rest of the paragraph. But let me tell you this, that if that truly was a prophet, that prophet can't deviate from the Bible. Now show me your Bible verse. But you know what he's doing? He's trying to make me agree with him because Brother Branham said, Brother Branham said, Brother Branham said. It isn't just because you say Brother Branham said. It isn't just because you're sitting at the table with Brother Bram. You got a, you got a, your arm around Brother Bram. You're now you're in the inner circle because you know what? You've been invited as the elect, as the bride of Christ. Come on, come on, folks. There's a lot of people that feel like, well, I'm the bride of Christ. I can do what I want, and I got, I got some sort of leeway or permission to do things like that. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter that you sat at the table with Samuel. What does, what does God say? What's God's choice here? Already can see where his mind's going, and his mind's not going in the direction God's going, because really, if he had the mind of Christ, you know what? He would have said, hey, everybody, go back to Genesis 49, and I'm not even qualified to be the king. But I'll wait until God puts his man here, but I'm just even a temporary king or something like that, because we still have Genesis 49 to deal with. 
You understand what Brother Bram is saying, and he wants us to see this. Oh, let me give you one more statement. And God knows what's truth and what's best. Samuel tried to tell Saul that. And God knows what was best. And Saul said, well, the people want me. And as long as he's got somebody to follow him, that's all he wanted. As long as he, Saul, got somebody to follow him, that's all he wanted. So he used Samuel's name and got somebody to follow him. That's all he wanted. If that's all he wanted, he was not really intent on pleasing God. He's really intent on making sure he's got a following. Ha! Listen, whether you realize it or not, that spirit is not dead. That spirit's still alive. But you know what you've got to do? You've got to discern how close this thing really gets. Because God is not, nor ever does, drop lightning out of heaven and kill Saul because Saul's not the right man. He lives a long time after this. Can I go just a shade further? <coughs> now, <clears throat> Samuel, bless his heart, he's still dealing with the people here. And he, they're publicly repenting for, the, for putting Saul up there. In verse 19 of um, chapter 12 here, And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all of our sins this evil to ask us for a king. He's he's not in office a year and a half. I got the dates. He's not in office a year and a half. And they're coming to Samuel and saying, Hey, would you pray for us? (laughs) Somebody made a big mistake here, and this man's a king. (laughs) We're in bad shape enough. And then we added to this and added Saul here? My goodness. Chapter 13. I hope you don't mind reading your Bible this morning here. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel. So we're, we're very new, okay, at this whole process here. We're very new. And this is, this is where, uh, you know, we're looking at, at how Saul begins to think here. Now, this is the story, and, and we could look at a few verses here, and in verse 8, because the Philistines are threatening to attack and Saul is going to a place of enforcement here and Samuel says, hey, I'll meet you there uh, and we'll have sacrifices before the battle begins and I'll meet you there. So it says in verse 8, you've heard this story, and he tarried seven days according to the set time and Samuel had a, that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me. So Samuel said, I'll, I'll meet you there. And according to Saul's time, look, I mean, the Philistines are only growing stronger every day. They're bringing up reinforcements. They're, they got more weapons and they got more people. Every day we wait, we got a less of a chance of winning here. And he's looking at this logically. He's looking at this like a battlefield commander. And he says, uh, Samuel said he was going to be here. He's not here. He's past the appointed time. Look, we, we're just going to have to go ahead and go into battle here because, I mean, the men are getting restless. The more they look at the Philistines out there, the bigger they are. Remember now, those are the big guys, right? 
And the more they're looking at them, the more frustrated and fearful they're becoming. And some of them are starting to actually go, and the Bible says that. They're actually starting to wander off here because, you know, the bigger, the longer we wait, the bigger they get. So Saul figures out in his own thinking, now this is not God's choice, but he figures out, bring me the, bring me the lamb. Bring, bring that animal to me and I'll do it here. And he takes off his, his crown and he puts on the, the priest miter and he begins to offer. He's all ready to have church and now he's going to become a minister. He's not ordained to be a minister. Are you hearing me, folks? He's not ordained to be a minister now to do this. And just as soon as he says, now let's all rise and take our Bibles and we're going to take a reading here, Samuel shows up and says, hello. Uh, Pardon me? What's going on here? And Saul goes into this normal routine where... Uh, he says in verse 12, Therefore I said, I, the Philistines come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplica- supplication unto the Lord, and I force myself, therefore. And after all, Samuel, this is your problem because you never showed up in time, so you know what? Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to make the sacrifice, so I did. And I did it because I'm such a great guy. The next verse says that Saul, Samuel looked at him and says, You have done foolishly, buddy. You have done foolishly. And it was for this, verse 14, Now thy kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. You know what? God went like this. He closed the book on Saul. And you know what he's doing? He's looking around. He's over in Jesse's neighborhood and he's looking around. I'm speaking figuratively here because he knows he's got a man after his own heart. His choice lives in this neighborhood right here in Jesse's house. And he's got a man who's going to be the real king of Israel here. But God's not back over here interceding on behalf of of Saul. He's not over here defending Saul. He's not over here forgiving Saul and giving him another opportunity. God's taken your kingdom from you and given it to another. You know why? Because it wasn't God's choice in the first place. All right, now, watch just a little bit further here, okay? I mean, there's all kinds of these examples here. Now, but one of the, one of the funniest ones was, was in this, in, in chapter 14, uh, Saul makes this pronouncement to the army. Now, he's still in charge of the army, and he's still uh, trying to defend Israel here because he doesn't want to give up his office. And he tells the people, because we've got to be consecrated in battle, no man should eat at all. So that we'll win. We'll be consecrated to God. And we don't want anybody to eat anything before this battle takes place. That was his idea. It wasn't God's idea. It was his idea. And Jonathan, by the way, in this story, is off defeating the garrison of the Philistines, him and his armor bearer. And he he wins the battle. And he's over there. He doesn't know anything about this commandment that Saul has given. Right? He doesn't know anything about the not eating thing. And so he comes back into camp, and he's standing there, and he's got, you know, all the trappings of just having won the battle. And he comes back, and on his way back, he sees a, a, a pile of honey that's near the ground there, a beehive. And, and he looks down at that, and he takes his sword, and he digs into that, and takes the honey, and he begins to eat it. And his eye, the Bible says that his eyes become enlightened. And he says, wow, this is great. You guys should have it. And they said, hey, we're not allowed. What do you mean you're not allowed? Well, Saul has said that nobody's supposed to eat anything. And so therefore, you're in big trouble because you're eating something. And Jonathan says, hey, uh, I never heard any commandment about that. And he said, what's wrong with eating? 
And listen to what Jonathan says now. In verse 29, I'm in chapter 14, verse 29. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of the honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For had there not been uh, now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, and the people were very faint. You know why? Because this was not God's rule at all. It was Saul's decision to make everybody not eat. And as a result, everybody's faint, and they're falling around, and they're, they're pulling up pictures of Kentucky Fried Chicken on their phone, and they're looking at all these things here. You know what? When God inspires you to fast, you're not consumed with you know, the fact that you can't go to Starbucks or wherever else. You're focused on the things of God. But you know what? This was Saul's idea. And even his own son said, hey, this man's troubling Israel. He's just causing trouble for everybody here. But the people are still not sure because this is a king and he's got oil poured on him. And Samuel's anointed him to be king and he's still the leader of the army. And we just can't walk, you know, do this against him. So they all together, they bring Jonathan over to his father and they say, this is the man that's eaten. He is the man that's eaten the honey right here. And Saul looks at him and he says, are you the man that's eaten? He said, I heard somebody had eaten something. And Saul said unto Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And he says, verse 44, Saul answered and said, go do so and more also for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Now stop for a minute. Jonathan had just overthrown the garrison of the Philistines. He just won a great big battle over here. And he's got energy and he's got brightness in his eyes because he's eaten some honey. And honey is good for you if you're not supposed to not eat honey. And so he's, he's, he's all, you know, he's all set here. And Saul says, but I made a rule. And you know what the people do? It's amazing what happens in the next, next couple of verses here. And the people in verse 45, they said, shall Jonathan surely die? And then the Bible goes on and describes how they all got together and they rescued Jonathan. They go in and they take Jonathan and they shield him with their own bodies. And they say, nope, he's not going to die. He's done nothing wrong. Now that we see it, he's got done nothing wrong. You see how Satan, if he could, he would try to take your right eye? And he would get you to look at something. And this guy, he's up there saying, Saul and Samuel, Saul and Samuel, Samuel and Saul, Samuel and Saul. And all this. Go- and the people are, are they're looking at that. And then all of a sudden they realize, whoa, this is crazy. And it says they shielded Jonathan from his own father because his own father had passed a death sentence on him. How far are we into his reign? We're only in two years, folks. We're not far along. If you're in the crowd and you're looking at this, it's got to be a little confusing because God doesn't take the man out of the office. He leaves Saul in that office for years. He's got oil still on him. He's got the blessing of Samuel on him. Yet he's doing all these crazy things. My goodness. Saul now begins to show this desperation that is absolutely uh, the evidence of somebody who's not God's choice at all. The next chapter, chapter 15, and I'm going to stop here, but this chapter deals with King Agag and all the 
uh, in the mistakes that Saul makes here because Samuel tells him, go into that village and kill the king and everybody else, all the cattle. And Saul says, well, we saved some of the cattle and we saved the king because we wanted to show who was a stronger man and all the rest of it. And Samuel shows up and he says, hey, he says, you've disobeyed God again. This is incredible. And now, if you don't mind, follow me in 26. We'll, we'll end here on this little part. And Samuel said unto Saul, I'll not return with thee, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the, word of, uh, and the Lord has rejected thee. Everything God says for you to do, you do something different. And God has actually rejected you. So he says, I'm not, go, I'm not leaving here with you. We're done. And Samuel turned about to go. And he saw laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. Now, what, listen, folks, as a believer, shouldn't this be the way it happens? That when Samuel turned to go, shouldn't Saul have fallen down and repented and said, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me? But that's not what happens at all. Because Saul grabs a hole of his robe, and prevent Samuel from going out. You ever, you ever do that with your grandkids? I do it all the time. When, they, when they're on the floor and they grab your feet and you're dragging them along. You got this picture of Samuel dragging King Saul along the ground like this because Saul won't let him go. What's the reason for that? The reason is right here. He says, <clears throat> in, uh, I'm, I'm still in chapter 15 here, and he says uh, in verse 30, He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people, before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord together. Unless you and me go out together, I'm going to look bad in the sight of all the elders of Israel. So he falls on the ground, grabs a hold of his leg, and he doesn't let Samuel go. Because I don't want to look bad. Folks, this is all about image. This is not about what's right or wrong. This is not about repenting here. He's saying to Samuel, I have sinned. Hey, listen, I've done wrong. But you know what he doesn't do? He never goes to God. He is so out of relationship with God that even when he wants to find out what's going to happen in the battle, who does he turn to? But a witch. And ask the witch why he gets the witch to conjure up Samuel. Because let me say this, and I'm going to stop. You know where his focus entirely is? It's on the prophet. It's entirely on the prophet instead of the God of the prophet. Sorry for belaboring the point, but I hope you get where I'm going here. You can really become misguided when you only have a relationship with a prophet or the memory of of a prophet, or the image of a prophet, or the booklets of a prophet. You hear what I'm saying? Instead of having a relationship with the God of William Branham, and if God wanted William Branham to be here today, he'd be here today. If he, if God wanted us to be sitting at the table in the inner circle with the bride, right next to Brother Branham, and you know, me and Brother Branham, me and Brother Branham, me and Brother Branham. If God wanted Brother Branham to be here, you know what? He'd still be here. Because God could have timed his death. So Brother Branham walked out of here with the bride and we'd all follow him. But you know what? I don't believe that's the way God wanted it to be. God's choice was to take Brother Branham off the scene after he brought the right message to the right people so that the people would have their hearts not turned to William Branham because you know what? He's dead. But have their hearts turned to Christ. 
Because Brother Branham even told us a greater than William Branham is here. And Saul's, rela- Saul's relationship is entirely built on Samuel and what Samuel thinks. And he says, don't go. You can't go out there without me because I'll look bad in the eyes of the elders. And if you look in chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said unto Samuel, how long will thou mourn for Saul? He said, take your horn of oil. I've got a king already down over here. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? I told you that this verse is going to be the end of the sermon. How long are you going to wait for Saul? Hey, listen, Samuel, it's time to let this thing go here. I've finished with Saul a long time ago. But now in the eyes of the people, God never makes this pronouncement and says, hey, Samuel is not my choice. The word already speaks about what God's choice was. God's choice was that the scepter shall never depart from Judah. That's what God said. And God never goes back on his word. So God had already spoken. And the people here, they're looking at Saul because he looks like a king. But then when they realize how he acts, then you know what? He's probably not the king. So forgive us for that. And everybody in the kingdom, they don't, they don't rush to overthrow Samuel, or Saul and throw him in the woods and let the hogs eat him up there. They, they, don't, they don't do that. They're still looking at, they're still calling him King Saul. How close will God allow this thing to go? You think God should come down and say, all right, everybody, it's over. That's it. Uh, don't worry about Saul anymore. Just let him go. That's it. It's over. God never does that. God just simply says to Samuel, get your horn of oil. Come on. I'll show you where you need to go now. I'll show you my choice. And he goes down and he finds David, pours the oil over David. He said, now that's my choice. Common sense wouldn't have done that. Common sense wouldn't have picked Saul of Tarsus either common sense wouldn't have picked you or me. But God doesn't operate by common sense. God operates by election. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come. Sorry, I don't have more voice. My goodness, there's a lot of lessons and a lot of things in here that we could learn. But Samuel's, he, he, Saul was bent on using Samuel's name, using Samuel's ministry, using Samuel's uh, respect that he had gained among the people. Because that's what he wanted. In the heart of Saul, he wanted a following. He wanted people to, to come after him. And that's, that, that's what meant everything to Saul. But God gave him another commandment. God gave him another job to do. And God commissioned him to do this. Everything was worked so that Saul looked good. And everything was okay between him and Samuel. God said, no. No, it's not going to work. That's not going to work. I'll tell you what. By the grace of God, we'll get there. I said, by the grace of God, we'll get there. By the grace of God, I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for his discernment that he gives to us. I'm thankful for revelation that God gives to us. I'm thankful for the absolute of the word. And I'll say this like Brother Bram said a million times before me. You stay with that word. Brother Bram never said, stay with me. He said, stay with the word. Because what if God takes me? What if I'm not around here when the bride goes? You stay with the word. He said, the word will see you through. The word will get you across. We should not fear what any man would try to deceive us into or lead us into. You stay with the word of God, and it will get you there. I believe that with all my heart. I trust him, don't you? I trust him. Let's sing this morning here. Amazing love.
for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. You in all I do. Because you died, rose again. Thank you, Jesus. Die for me. Amazing love. Let's switch it if you can. I go to the rock. Let's sing that little chorus. I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. When I need a friend, I go to the rock. Sing it again now. I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around is sinking sand. Go to the rock And we've been made more than conquerors Overcomers in this life We've been made, made victorious the blood of Jesus Christ. Sing it again now. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. And we've been made, made victorious. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sing it one more time now. 
Thank you, Lord. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. And we've been made, made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have a maker He formed my heart And before even time began My life was in His hands He knows my name and he knows my every thought and he sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call and I have Father, He calls me His own, and He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name And He knows my every thought He sees each tear that falls And He hears me when Sing that again now He knows my name He knows my name. He knows my every thought. And He sees each tear that falls. He hears me when I call. If it'd be all right, we could pray for Catherine. Uh, Let's do that today. Anybody else who would need prayer today? I just, if you don't mind, let's just bind our hearts together on behalf of Catherine and just pray that the Lord will touch her. And if he allows her to go through this surgery, that she'd have a complete and quick recovery back on her feet again. And so we're trusting that, uh, we're trusting that together with them. So let's sing it one more time now as we pray. Aaron, if you'd come join me here uh, this morning. Sing it now. He knows my name. Yes, he does. He knows my
Cast all of our cares upon him because he loves us. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer here. Let's sing it together this morning. Thank you for coming and thank you for putting up with me uh, here tonight. Not sounding so good. Let's sing it together. Draw. Go ahead. To you. close to you again now. heads together this morning, Lord, and Father, I appreciate the people, Lord, just hanging in there with me today, and Lord, for you giving me the strength to be able to uh, be able to come today and to be in the house of the Lord, we're, we're, we're thankful, Lord, for your mercies to us. And Lord, you've given us such a great word, you've given us such insight, and Lord, the ability to look at the word with discernment, and, and to see, Lord, that your ways are not our ways, they're higher than our ways. Lord, continually we're challenged to lift our view higher than this world and the logic of men and 
Lord, our own, our own individual purposes and plans, Lord. Because you have a choice. You have, you have made decisions, Lord, about how things are going to be. And Lord, we know that there's no power, no force. There's not any demon, Lord, that is able to hold the bride of Christ back. And they shall not be deceived. But Lord, they'll be given a revelation, an understanding of things, Lord. And Father, now we pray for the faith to hold on to that revelation, Lord. To hold on to that truth that you've revealed to us. And Lord, may nothing prevent us, Lord, from proceeding, Lord, into glory with that truth. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord. And we thank you, O God, for sending a message in this last day and making it so clear and understandable for us. Lord Jesus, we are depending entirely upon you, Lord. We thank you for Brother Branham and all that he did and the great message he brought. And Lord, the, uh, the confidence that he inspires in us even still today. But Lord, our hearts are set on thee. Our, Lord, we, we believe we're the bride of Christ. And Lord Jesus, therefore, we look to you today as our husband and as our leader and our guide. Lord, may you bring healing to all those that need it today. Touch broken bodies, Lord, we ask. And Lord, just do a work in every heart and soul. Father, we pray for all those at camp. And Lord, may it be a uh, just a triumphal uh, ending, Lord, to the camp. And Father, bless them all safely as they travel home and be with them and their families, Lord, we ask. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for our times together in your presence. Lord, have your way now, we pray in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory. We ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Amen. Draw me close to you. Sing it again now. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend and you are my desire. No one else will do and nothing else could take your place or feel the warmth of your embrace so help me find the way bring me back to you
Sweet. 